right, well, take your copy of God's Word and find with me the book of 1 Peter. And we're going to be in the book of 1 Peter today as we start a brand new uh, sermon series for the summer that I'm calling Road Trip. And I've been really excited about this series, so I hope you are as excited as I am. And if you're not, maybe, uh, maybe you'll get there. But I'm really looking forward to not only this message, but in the messages to come. So we're going to be talking about Road Trip this summer. It's like, what's the spiritual significance of that? Not a thing. <laughs> I just wanted to say, man, you know, there's going to be a whole lot of people leaving to go on the road this summer, going here, there, and everywhere. Some of y'all are probably going to some really cool places. Um, if, if you are, tell me, because I love to travel, love to plan where I'm going. We kind of plan out a year in advance where we would like to go on vacation. So, um, so we plan what we're doing this year, actually last year. So anyway, I just, I love to go, and I love to go during the summer, don't y'all? And you say, hey, Y'all know why you go somewhere in the summer if you got kids? That's when they're out on vacation, right? So, um, so anyway, while you're out on vacation through June, July, and August, um, I hope when you're back home in Sherall that you'll make a, a really good effort to be here because it's going to be a fun, fun month, a lot of neat things we're going to have planned. So we're going to be asking the question as we examine this particular series for the summer road trip. We're going to be asking this proverbial question. Y'all probably have heard it, especially if you were a child at one time. And if you have children now, the question that we want to ask is, are we there yet? Yeah, some of y'all have asked that question before at least once. Are we there yet? How many of you remember before cars had GPS? Can you, I know that's a stretch for some of you. But y'all remember when you had cars before GPS? You know, we would always ask the question, are we there yet, right? I, I mean, we, we've got GPS and cars, but I can't remember that there was a day in my life where I didn't have, I didn't have women telling me how to drive, but now I've got two. You know, GPS, right? And, uh, and one of the women that tells me how to drive, I gave her a British accent because I just think it's kind of cool, you know. And, uh, and then the other, you know, she's got the sweetest, most southern voice around, and that's my wife. And every now and then, those two ladies tell me how to drive. The question is, am I going to listen to how they tell me how I'm going to drive? Probably not. But uh, I really wish we could maybe tweak what GPS tells us how to drive, or at least how... GPS ought to encourage us and tell us, instead of telling us to recalculate, I want my GPS ladies to tell me, you took that curve wonderfully. <laughs> or maybe you're looking marvelous today behind that wheel. <laughs> All right, if only people could drive like you, Rod. You know, you know I just wish we can kind of reprogram our G GPS to say something like that. But, you know, just, just a thought. It's a wonder. It's amazing the things that go through this mind up here. But y'all remember what it was like, don't you, before we had GPS, before we had an estimated time of arrival. I remember before we would go to here, there, or everywhere, we didn't go to a lot of places when I was a kid because we didn't have money and we didn't really trust the transportation that we had either. But whenever we would go to places like in Augusta or something like that, I would always be thinking, are we, are we there yet? Never got that estimated time of arrival on GPS. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Do y'all use GPS? Not really in Sherall, I know, but we got GPS that we could use if we travel here, there, or everywhere. So many of you remember asking that question, are we there yet? You remember your parents getting annoyed because not only do you ask it once, but twice, three times. You're just always asking the question, are we there yet? We've all been there. So over the next few weeks, we're going to ask that question, are we there yet? And I'm not talking about asking the question, are we there yet, in terms of our final destination. I think Trey said it earlier or somebody on the platform said it, our final destination is heaven, amen? If you know Jesus, that's your final destination. And that's my final destination. And, hey, there's a great old hymn, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. 
there's room at the cross for you. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the day for your salvation. Could be if you give your heart and your life to him. Talk to us after the service if that's where you are. But we would ask the questions, are we there yet? So I'm not asking the question, are we there yet in terms of our final destination or are we there yet in terms of any destination? But I am asking you the question, are we there yet in terms of our understanding of God's word and who we are and where we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So are we there yet? You see, there are some questions that I believe God wants us to answer along life's road that I think will help us to understand, you know, what God's plan is for us in our life, uh, that God does have a plan for us in our life, and that he wants to be invested into our life. So we're going to be looking at several different questions that you might have along life's road to help you arrive at that particular destination. Next week, I'm going to be preaching a message, Lord willing, that revolves around the Bible. Uh, You know, we're living in a day and age that questions everything, don't we? Everything under the sun is questioned, especially it's questioned if somebody's in authority over you. People question authority now, I think, more than ever in my lifetime. They question everything under the sun. And I want you to leave here next Sunday saying, you know what, I can really say that the, the, the Bible... God's holy word is a light unto my life. It's a lamp unto my feet. And I can trust it. I can have confidence in the word of God. We're going to look at that next week and then in the weeks to come, what makes Jesus so special? Do all religions lead to heaven? And then how can I know I'm right with God? Those are just some of the questions we're going to ask as we go on this road trip together this summer. Now, the oldest question that's ever asked in the Bible This is cool, isn't it? You're on the edge of your seat. The oldest question asked in the Bible. If you were to look for that particular question to be answered, you would not turn to the book of Genesis as much as you might love Genesis. You wouldn't turn to the book of Psalms as much as you might love the hymn book of the Old Testament or one of my favorite books of the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs. You you wouldn't turn to any of those books. If you were to ask the question, you know, know, ask the oldest question in the Bible, you would turn rather to the book of Job. And in the book of Job, written before what was written in Genesis was put on paper, the question that Job sought to answer was this, why do godly people suffer? And that's a fair question to ask, wouldn't you say? I mean, why do godly people suffer? I mean, Job was a godly man. I mean, Job was somebody that could fit into this church this morning. And yet Job, as a godly man, suffered greatly. He lost his health. He lost his wealth. And he lost the very thing most precious to him. He lost his children. The only thing he didn't lose was his faith, and he didn't lose his wife. Now, there was a church father uh, many, many years ago, and they called him Chrysostom. Well, that was his name. His name actually means golden mouth. That means that things that flow from his mouth was just kind of golden. But he said something that wasn't really golden. In fact, he actually put his foot in his mouth, but maybe that was just how he rolled. But one thing he said about Job was that, was that Satan left Job's wife alone because he was going to use her to cause some of the suffering in his life. Now, I know I ride loose in the saddle, but I'm not about to touch that with a 10-foot pole. All right? I'll let somebody else do that. But that's a fair question to ask. Why do godly people suffer for that matter? Why does anybody suffer? I mean, if God is good, and he is, right? If God is good, and we know that he is, why is there suffering in the world? So the oldest book in the Bible, Job, answers that question then the oldest book in the new testament it's one of my favorite books as well in fact it is the favorite book in the new testament i don't know if it's the whole bible but i know it's in the new testament that that is of praise 
Pastor Trey loves the book of James. Beth, did you know that? He said that was his favorite book, at least in the New Testament. So before all the Gospels were put into paper, or put on paper, before all of Paul's letters, all of his epistles, James wrote the book that bears his name. And he begins his letter with this command. He says, my brothers and my sisters, count it all joy, joy, whenever you go through various trials. So think about this. The oldest book of the Old Testament, the oldest book in the New Testament, both answer or address the same question. Why do people suffer? And we're going to answer that question biblically today. We're going to see what the Bible has to say about that today. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you've already got it turned to 1 Peter chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a copy like this, a paper copy in, in your lap or in your hand, um, you can look on with your neighbors. Uh, if you've got good breath, you know, look on with your neighbors. If not, hold back. You might use an electronic device. That's perfectly fine. The YouVersion Bible app that we made available for you, you can look at our text there. You can look at the notes there as well. But we want you to turn to your copy of God's Word, 1 Peter chapter 4, and let's pick up at verse 12. Here's what the Bible says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him, glory, let him glorify God in that name. For it is the time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of God for the people of God today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you've allowed us to live in a country where we can worship freely and we can gather in a place like this today and worship you. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes that you would just speak into our hearts as only you can through the power of your word and through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, the subject matter today is a subject matter that I think we all need to address. It all, uh, the question that we're going to be answering today is why do people suffer or why is there suffering? So Lord, I just pray today that as we look at this particular question this morning, that you would help us to see what the Bible has to say about that. Not what Raj says, or what a neighbor or parent says, but what does your word say? And Lord, my heart is sensitive to those that might be going through various trials and troubles and tribulations today. And Lord, I pray that you will allow them to know that you have not forgotten them. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. We pray in Jesus' name. And if you agree with that prayer, would you say amen? Amen. I heard a story about a little girl and... She came home from school one day, and she asked the question that I used to ask a lot as well. She says, Mommy, I'm hungry. Can I have something to eat? And what do you think that mother said? Wait till dinner. No, she didn't say that. But the mother said, You're hungry? And the little girl said, Yeah. And Beth, I can hear, I can see Skylar for this. I almost asked if I could brought her on stage because I can just see Skylar and her little facial expressions. They're just so cute. But she's like, Mama, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. And this is what that, that, that mother said. She's like, Well, how about three raw eggs? And I can see Skylar going, something like that. How about two cups of flour or a cup of vegetable oil? How, how would you like a stick of butter and then a tablespoon of baking soda? And I can see somebody like Skylar saying, no, that's 
nasty, nasty, nasty. And then the mother said, and I can surely Beth would say this as well, well, how about a cake instead? Because y'all know all those ingredients go into a wonderful cake, right? And you put it in your KitchenAid mixer or whatever mixer you got, you mix it up, put it in the oven 45 minutes to an hour, and then what comes out? What a beautiful, moist pound cake. Y'all hungry? Boy, I am. That sounds really good right now. So the mother did all of that, and she bakes the cake, and that little girl says, Thank you, Mommy. <laughs> she said, What in the world does that have to do with suffering? You know, sometimes in life, God gives us the cake. And we're like, Oh, thank you, Jesus. I love that. Man, life is good. Life is grand. Life's a bed of roses. But then sometimes in life, He gives us the ingredients. And we say, Yuck. And sometimes when He gives us those ingredients, you know, we find them very, very, very distasteful. Distasteful. I don't know if you find them distasteful. But boy, I sure do whenever I have to take a bite. Sometimes God puts us in the mixer and he allows us to go into the mixer and we get all churned up, don't we? And then sometimes he puts us in the oven and he turns up the heat. That ever happened to any of y'all? Happened to me. You see, sometimes God works in our lives in such a way we don't understand it and we say, why? You know, why me, Lord? It's a great old song, by the way. Why me, Lord? Why, why am I going through this? Why does anybody have to go through this? I mean, you're a good God, but why is there suffering in the world? So this morning, we're going to see what the Bible has to say about why sometimes we have to go through suffering and what the benefit of going through suffering happens to be. And here's the, here's the first one. There we go. Suffering is an experience. And it's not only is it an experience that we don't want to go through, but can I tell you something? It's an experience we ought to expect. Look again at verse 12 there. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised. And if you underline your Bibles, y'all don't underline that word, that word surprise. Do not be surprised at the, it doesn't say trial, does it? It says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. It's coming upon you to test you as though something, don't think that it's something strange that we're happening to you. It's something we ought to expect. Y'all with me? I know you are because you're an above average congregation. Yeah, so we ought to be expecting something like that. The Bible says when trials come, even fiery trials, don't be surprised. You ought to expect them whenever these trials come. The Bible says that suffering is just a part of a Christian's life. Notice that word surprise there in verse 12. It's the word that talks about an unexpected guest. Y'all ever had unexpected guests come to your house? You know, when I think of that, I think of Cousin Eddie that showed up at Clark Griswold's house on Christmas vacation. If anybody was surprised, it was Clark. In fact, he wouldn't have been so surprised if his head wouldn't have been attached to the carpet, I believe is how the line goes. I mean, he was really surprised at this unexpected guest. And, and y'all probably have been there and can identify with that when unexpected guests come your way. Well, in life, this is what I've learned. And some of you have learned it much better than I have because you've lived a little bit longer than I have. We shouldn't be surprised whenever sufferings and trials come into our life unannounced and unexpected. Have y'all ever noticed that trials don't let us know when they're coming? And we don't really know when we're going to be going through these troubles and trials. I mean, don't expect God to send us an email an email, and say, hey, next week at 12 o'clock on a Thursday, brother, you're going to be going through a trial. He's not going to do that. Don't expect God to text you or to call you and say, hey, just FYI, trial's coming. The Bible says that we're to expect trials and that they are to be a normal part of our life. Suffering is a normal part of a Christian's life. You say, why is that? Uh, well, we're living in a fallen world. And because of the fall, you know, all the way back in Genesis, we read about that, we're living in a fallen world. This world that can be so beautiful can really be ugly as well because we live in a world that is marred by sin. First Peter 4.12 says that suffering 
It's not something you should be surprised at. In fact, you are to expect it. It's an experience you're to expect. Several years ago, I heard about a guy that went to a chicken restaurant. You know, I, can I just tell you one of my pet peeves? David, can I tell you that? I'll feel a whole lot better if I say that. But I just don't get how people go to a Mexican restaurant and they order, you know, steak. You're there to eat Mexican. Or if you go to a chicken restaurant and you get pizza, you're there to get chicken. That's just me. may not be you. That's just me, one of my oddities, but I like who I am. So, um, so I heard about this guy that goes to a chicken restaurant. I'm not going to tell you the name of that chicken restaurant, but the name of it is after a state that borders the state of Tennessee. This side of the room is much lower than this side. Yeah, Ohio? No, not Ohio. So he goes to this chicken restaurant. He says, I want some of your original chicken. He's around the lunch hour, and, and, the, and the lady behind the counter says, well, we don't have any. Ah, well, I have some of your extra crispy. Uh, we don't have any of that as well. Rotisserie gold? Not, we're out. Three streets of chicken and mashed potatoes? We're out of that as well. He's like, wait, this is a chicken restaurant, right? And you know the lunch crowd is coming. But they didn't have any chicken. It's like they weren't prepared. He's like, what's that got to do with the message? We need to be prepared and know that trials are going to be coming. And if you're not in a trial, you'll be going through a trial or you're coming out of a trial. Because that's just what life is all about. Suffering's a normal part of the Christian life. So we ought to be ready whenever trials come. Right now on death row across the world. There are people that are on death row and they're going through a trial. There ever has been one in their life, all because they are followers of Jesus Christ. The, the most persecuted faith, the most persecuted religion in the world today is Christianity. We may not be persecuted here, but I think it's coming. But elsewhere in the world, the most persecuted faith in religion is Christianity and yet we have preachers that stand up on Sunday mornings or during the week whenever you watch those television broadcasts and they say if you just give some more money and they teach the health wealth and prosperity gospel and they also teach that if you're if you're suffering with sickness or financial loss or this that or the other it's because of some sin in your life or, or you got to get right with God something's not right with God in your life that's when you flip the channel to something else okay that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that for a Christian, we're to expect suffering. And that unfortunately, on this side of eternity, it's just part of the Christian experience. The Bible says over in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life. And that's us, right? Because we're followers of Christ. We expect to live a godly life. So if we're going to live a godly life, we can expect to go through our fair share of trials and persecutions. Paul was persecuted. Jesus was persecuted. Early Christians were persecuted. The Bible says all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. So if you're, if, if, if you're trying to live out your faith to some extent, you ought to be asking yourself the question, am I living a godly life? Because, man, I, I really haven't been through a trial yet. I heard some preachers say that if you're not running into the devil, it may be because you're running with the devil as to why you're not in any type of troubles or trials. Y'all with me? I still love you. Okay, So don't think it's strange whenever you go through your fair share of troubles and trials and persecution. As a follower of Christ, it's to be expected. But then secondly, suffering's a reason to rejoice. Look what the Bible says in verse 13. Suffering's a reason to rejoice. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And just notice something about this little verse here. 
he talks about some aspect of rejoicing. Not once, not twice, but three times Peter does here. He says, once he says, be glad, twice he says, rejoice. So when you suffer, rejoice. When you suffer, rejoice. When you suffer, be glad. It's like a continual command. And I'm thinking, Peter, give me something else. I'd rather something else to be continual, not to be glad and be glad and to rejoice at my suffering. It's like he's constantly saying, you can rejoice when you're suffering. And, he, and here's why I think he's saying that. I think he's saying you can rejoice at your suffering because of the, what the suffering accomplished or what suffering can accomplish in your life. Suffering will either bring you closer to Jesus or will push you further from Jesus. So use your suffering and your times of hardship to bring you closer to Jesus. Jesus suffered, and when we suffer, hey, here's the thought, we're no more like Jesus than when we too can identify in our suffering. It's been said that God will sometimes do what he hates to accomplish what he loves. He hates to see you suffer. He is our good father. He is our heavenly father. And he loves you with all the love of his heart. And, and when your heart breaks, our heavenly father's heart breaks as well. And, but he hates to see you suffer. But can I tell you something? As much as he hates to see you suffer, he loves to see you look like Jesus. And if suffering makes you look like Jesus, expect it. I love this old story. It's a powerful story. If you've been in church at any length of time, surely you've had to have heard it. But it's about someone who was willing to suffer for the glory of Christ. And his name was Polycarp. I don't, I've never met anybody named Polycarp. Have y'all? Uh, probably not either. It's an, it's an old name. Poly means many. Carp means faithful. So, so when you think of his name, he, he was one that bore much fruit. <laughs> He was a fruitful believer. He was a bishop. He was in the ministry over in Smyrna, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, he served there in the middle of the second century. He was arrested by Romans that didn't like him and people that were followers of Jesus. In fact, they said, if you don't denounce Jesus Christ, you're going to be put to death. They tied him to a stake. What he said, what a great testimony when he's when they were giving him a chance to renounce his faith in Jesus, here's what this old man named Polycarp said. He said, for 86 years, I've served him. I've served Jesus for 86 years, and he's never done me harm. How can I blaspheme him and my king now? 86 years old. What a bold and strong and courageous man facing with his death to be burned at the stake, and yet he says that. The Roman officer Romans really respected those that were older, and rightly so. But the Roman officer that was before him says, I've got great respect for you and for your age, so you don't have to say that. Just simply say, away with the atheists. In other words, just look at all your Christians and say, away with the atheists, and then we'll set you free. Now, here's what's interesting about, about all of this, if you will. Romans consider Christians atheists. You know why? Because we didn't say that Caesar was a god. There's only one God, according to my Bible. Thank you, Todd. I appreciate that. Y'all agree with that? Amen? Pretend like I'm Trey up here. Amen? <laughs> yeah, there's only one God in the Bible. His name is Jesus. And, and the Romans are like, oh, we got a problem with that. Caesar's the God. And here's this 86-year-old man, Polycarp, tied to the, to the stake here, facing certain death. And the Roman soldier in front of him just simply say, away with the atheist and here's what polycarp did he looked at all those romans in the eye and he said away with the atheist 
Well, that didn't really sit under the skin well of that Roman officer, so he basically had his personal courier say that Polycarp, not once, not twice, but three times, has confessed to be a Christian, and they burned Polycarp at the stake, and he suffered, but even as he died, he gave glory to his God. Suffering for Jesus can be a reason to rejoice. That's the example of the earliest followers of Jesus. The earliest followers of Jesus were beaten. Earliest fathers of Jesus were thrown in jail. They were threatened. They were bullied. They were killed. Uh, they were in prison for who knows how long. But yet through it all, they gave glory to God. Now, you know what's really interesting about this? When you look at verse, where is it? verse 12 here. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. Shortly thereafter, he wrote this letter. Nero lit up his garden at night with the bodies of Christians. But yet, even when they suffered, they gave glory to God. Listen to what the Bible says over in Acts 5, verse 41. The Bible says, then they left the presence of the council. They were rejoicing, disciples like me and you, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And there's only one name that's above all names. That name is Jesus. They found a reason to rejoice in the suffering. So what happens when you suffer? You probably are wondering that. What happens when I suffer? Hey, will I be delivered? Maybe not. You may not be delivered when you suffer. Hey, will I be kept from physical pain? Probably not. Probably not. What about emotional suffering? Yeah, I mean, physical pain is one thing. I don't want to be suffering emotionally. No, you probably will suffer emotionally. But here's what I do know. God will work in your suffering for his good and for his glory. And we may not understand it fully till we all get to heaven. Then notice thirdly that suffering is a season to survey. Suffering is a season to survey. And look at just verses 14 and 16. I'm not going to read them to you again, but you can peruse them. If, if you look there in those verses, you see that suffering is a season that God gives us to scrutinize and to survey our life. And so just look at those verses with me there in verses 14 and 16. And as you look there, I believe they suggest two questions that we ought to use whenever we scrutinize and whenever we survey the life that God has given us. Number one, hey, Lord, why am I suffering? So whenever you're going through seasons of suffering or trials or trouble or persecution, ask God. I mean, he's your heavenly father of all things. So ask him, hey, Lord, why am I suffering? Why am I going through this trial? Lord, I really just want to know what are the reasons I'm going through this season of suffering that I am. You know, some people ask this question, hey, do we suffer these troubles and trials and persecutions because of some sin in my life? Not always, but sometimes. Sometimes the reason you are in this fiery trial and persecution is because of the sin in your life. I love verse 15. Read it with me. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a, what's it say, church, meddler? Y'all know people like that? Yeah, I'm glad somebody laughed. That's an uneasy laugh. Of course we do, Pastor. We know people like that. I'm sitting next to them, Pastor. They're right by me. <laughs> There are consequences for sin, is what the Bible is saying. Even for believers, in fact, followers of Jesus are especially sure to receive discipline and correction for their sin. So if you're suffering, ask the question, Hey, Lord, is there something in my life that displeases you? Is there something in your life that's not honoring you? I'm going, I feel like I'm going through this season of discipline. I really would like to know what I need to do to get my life right with you. Hey, here's a thought. When Abraham disobeyed, he was disciplined. When David was disobeyed, disciplined. Peter, discipline. When you and I disobey, what should we expect as a follower of Christ, as his child? Discipline. Hey, you, you discipline your kiddos? Absolutely. We discipline our kids, we should expect discipline 
as a kid, as a child of God. There's a family picture taken of a girl, cutest little thing, taken many, many years ago when she was just five years old, taken at Christmas. I love Christmas. She was wearing a little red and white dress, as we would probably dress our daughters in, a little red and white dress. Her hair was neatly brushed. I mean, just really a dolled up as you would doll up your daughters. But then she looked at the picture, it's a little disturbing because what you would see is not only is she wearing this really pretty red and white dress, not only did her hair was it neatly brushed, but she had a swollen lip. Just missing some teeth. She had a puffy eye, her hands were wrapped in gauze. She looked like somebody that had went through a boxing match. Her name is Ashlyn Blocker. And she has a rare disorder called anhydosis, at least that's how I pronounce it. And it causes her not to feel any pain. She has chewed through her tongue several times while eating. She's torn off the flesh of her fingers without knowing it. She's drank scalding water without knowing it, just burning herself. This is what her mom said. Her mom said, I would give anything for my daughter to be able to feel pain. Then the mother went on to say this, pain is there for a reason unless your body know that something is wrong and needs to be fixed. So maybe the next time you're going through a season of suffering, it will be a way for you to say, Lord, I feel like I'm going through the season of suffering. What is a particular reason for it? Is there anything in my life that displeases you? Hey, a second question that comes to my mind when I read these couple of verses here in 1 Peter chapter 4. The second question is, is basically this, whenever I'm going through suffering, am I glorifying Jesus? Look at verse 16, and I want you to notice a particular word in verse 16. It's a pretty remarkable word because I identify as that. And it's the word Christian. If you see it, say amen if you do. All right? It's only found three times in the entire New Testament, the word Christian. Once here, twice in the book of Acts. And in Acts eleven twenty six, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas, one of my heroes of the faith, they were in a place called Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and they taught a great many people there. And in Antioch, the disciples of Jesus were first called, yeah, Christians. By the way, they weren't called Christians by fellow Christians. They were called Christians by their enemies. Somebody that didn't like them called them a Christian. Then we read over in Acts 26, 28, that King Agrippa said to Paul, Paul, in such a short time, you've almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Agrippa was not Paul's friend. Agrippa was Paul's enemy. So whenever somebody used the word Christian in the New Testament, it never was a word to be glorified, but a word to put somebody down. It was never said with a smile, but with a frown and with a smear. So when the world calls us Christians, they often do it even today with a sneer. You're a Christian. That's what Peter has in mind here. So hey, when somebody mistreats you as a Christian, when somebody looks down on you, don't be ashamed. Glorify God. When people sing you out for being a Christian, when you suffer for being a Christian, when you have to take a risk because you're a Christian, when your reputation may suffer because you're a Christian, when you have to put something on the line because you're a follower of Jesus, do it all for the glory of God. Never be ashamed to bear his name. Y'all with me? Hey, let me tell you a story. You probably have heard this name. It was in the news several years ago. A great man of God by the name of Kelvin Cochran. Uh, he was a former fire chief in the city of Atlanta, and he wrote a book. And in this book, the whole gist of the book was to help men, to bring them along. And in this book, the whole gist of the whole book was to help men live lives of moral purity. There's a part of the book, though, where he got on the subject of marriage. 
And in the book, he says, as I read my Bible, the Bible says, and this is what I believe, that marriage is just between a man and a woman. That wasn't his main purpose for addressing the subject of the men that he was writing for, but that was just part of his book. And one of the firefighters that he trusted that received the book gave it to a city council member that happened to be a homosexual, and everything happened. All the wheels started getting in motion there. The councilman brought the issue before the mayor. There was an informal, or in a formal rather, investigation. Ultimately, the chief was fired from his job. And in, during the investigation, they asked a number of questions to the people he worked around, and this is what they said. Man, this is a good question to ask. Can Chief Cochran perform his duties in such a way that he's not being influenced by his Christian faith. And over and over and over again, every employee said, no, that's who he is. Hmm. Hey, by the way, same should be said of us, right? You shouldn't be able to do your job without your faith in Jesus influencing how you live, work, and do your life, right? So when you suffer from being a Christian, give God glory, but don't be ashamed there again to bear his name. So when you suffer, ask yourself not only why am I suffering, but hey, in this suffering, Lord, am I glorifying you? Am, am I not being ashamed to bear your name even in this suffering that I'm in? Hey, lastly, i got to move on. Y'all still with me? Doors are locked. You can't leave. One more thing, and that is that suffering is a time to trust. I'm almost done, almost done. Look at verse 19 of our text. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful, faithful creator while doing good. Now, if you were to circle a couple of words here, one of the words that's important is that word entrust. It's a banking term. And it basically means to make a deposit. So when you're suffering for doing what God has called you to do, it's almost as if you're making a deposit of your soul into God's protective care for safekeeping. And God is stronger than any FDIC. So when you suffer, it's time to trust in God. Hey, you don't have to turn there, but I do want you to notice, and it's in the Bible app there, but I want you to notice this scripture here in 1 Peter chapter 2, and this is verses 21 and 23. I just want to share this with you. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile, speaking of Jesus. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What an example he is for us. But he continued entrusting himself to God who judges justly. So he, so he delivered over his soul to the Father saying, Lord, I'm just trusting in you. A little kid by the name of Larry was... Um, Old enough to go to the bathroom themselves. Don't y'all like those years? Thank you, Jesus. They're old enough to go to the bathroom themselves. And he went into the bathroom, closed the doors, which is appropriate. But then he locked the door, did his business, and then he couldn't open the door. He could not get the door unlocked. Uh, this almost sounds like me because I, I think I've done that as a kid and had somebody had to come to my rescue. So he's up there doing what kids do. He's crying. He's screaming. The world's coming to an end. He can't get out of the bathroom. So mom and dad did what mom and dad do. They, be, they become heroes. And here's what the dad did. Instead of just opening the door, some type of little key mechanism. I don't know why he didn't have that. Maybe. Uh, he goes up to the garage, gets him a ladder, takes the ladder around the other side of the house, pushes the ladder up against the, the window there of the bathroom. I guess the window was unlocked because he got in that way. Climbed through the window there. Opened the door because it was locked. And little Larry, the little boy, looks at his dad and says, thanks. Thank, that's all you get. 
thanks. Goes back downstairs and begin to play. Life is so good when you're that age, right? Thanks, thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, glad I could help you out there. Just went on downstairs. He wasn't panicking anymore. He just said, thanks, Dad. He goes downstairs and he does what kids do, play. And that's how a lot of us are as Christians. When we get stuck in life, when life gets hard, when we suffer for a little while, we cry out to God, Lord, save us. Work in my life, Jesus. And he does. But then when he lets us go and we're out of our predicament, thanks. See you next time. Sometimes that's what God does. He lets us out. But listen, sometimes he doesn't. Y'all need to know that. Sometimes in life, and y'all, some of y'all have experienced that, sometimes when life gets hard and we go through pain, tribulation, trials, struggles, hardship, sometimes God doesn't let us out the hook. In those times, do know this. It's almost as if, and this is just from my little testimony. Some of y'all have lived life much longer than I have. But it's almost as if, if he doesn't let us off the hook and open the door for us so we can go play. It's almost as if God's just saying, hey, um, I'm not letting you off the hook this time, but know this, I'm in the room with you. And sometimes whenever we do go through suffering, because suffering is to be expected, right? Just know that he's in the room with you. Every head bowed and every eye closed as our worship team comes back to the front. and They're going to lead us in a, a final song. Just let me talk to you um, as I close today. You know, sometimes God works in our lives and, and we don't understand why he's doing what he's doing. Sometimes we go through things that cause us to suffer. And there again, we're like, Lord, what in the world are you doing? Why am I suffering? Just realize that God is good. And as your Heavenly Father, He loves you. None of us want to suffer. I don't want anybody in my family to suffer. I don't want anybody in my church family to go through suffering. But you know what? We're all going to go through suffering because we're not living in eternity and in a place called heaven where everything is perfect. We're living in a world that's going through the ringer because of sin. And we will continue to go through the ringer until God calls us home. But, but most of us, when it comes to living, we don't want to go through the ringer. That's natural, right? You know, we often want the crown and not the cross. We want Easter Sunday, not Good Friday. We want the game, but we don't want the pain. But folks, that's not how life works. For most of us in this room, we know what it's like to suffer, and some of you more than others know what it's like to suffer. But all of us need to know this. God can take our suffering. He can take our problems. He can take our hang-ups. He can take our hiccups. He can take us when we're worn down, beat down, beat up. We can take our non for his glory. Jesus suffered for you, went to the cross for you, so that you never would have to, so that you never would have to suffer that way. Heavenly Father, I need to stop. I could keep on trucking as the saying goes. But Lord, thank you that, that you did suffer for us on Calvary's cross, that you went to that cross for each and every person here today. And Lord, with the old Baptist hymnal hymn in my mind, there's still room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. There's room at the cross for someone here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I can't imagine going through seasons of suffering that will come because we live on this side of eternity. I can't imagine going through seasons of suffering without having you in the room with me. So, Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, let them come home. 
let them come home to faith in you today. Not only so that their sins can be forgiven, but because life can sometimes be hard, and I just can't imagine going through a hard life without you in the room with me. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do as a result of this message today. It might be years from now where you bring this message back to mind to somebody that was here today. But Lord, use it and use us for your glory, even, even, Lord Jesus, when we suffer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me ask you to stand to your feet where you are.